0: Today is the the second Sunday, uh, second time in uh, this current uh, sermon series in the process of uh, studying the Bible for generosity and making our stewardship commitments today for 2019 and hopefully beyond that for a lifetime. Last Sunday we we, uh, talked about the generosity of God in creation and in salvation and eternal life and all the blessings that God gives to us out of his generous heart and nature. And uh, I gave you two assignments. You had two assignments for, for last week. One was to pray about and complete your stewardship commitment card and bring that today. And I hope you've done that. There's some in the bulletin, the one in the bulletin for you. If you haven't done that, that you might want to do that. Or you can mail it in uh, later at another date. But we want you to make a stewardship commitment. The other was to do something generous. Generosity extends beyond just giving money. It also extends about using our time, our talents, and our gifts and abilities to glorify God, and extending all kinds of generosity, love, forgiveness, mercy, grace. And so I encourage you to do do an act of generosity this week as well. I've heard some reports from some people that the love and the generosity act were combined. And so that was a neat way to do that. So I hope you had a good experience in doing that. Today we're going to look at what I call the generosity promise. And as we consider the challenge to make a, a, a stewardship commitment which means giving a portion of our money to the church, to our Lord through the church, I think we come to realize the cold, hard facts about both the value and the power of money. And I remind you again that the Bible has a great deal to say to us about money and how to handle it, how to make it, and how to use it to glorify God. In fact, I think the Bible in essence, confronts us with three basic questions about our money. Number one is, how did you get it? How did you make it? Did you earn it? Did you get it honestly? Uh, did you do it through some kind of work that would glorify God? The second question to ask is, is what are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? Are you, are you investing it in kingdom causes, or are you using your money on, only in a greedy way to, to, to satisfy yourself and what you want? And the third is, is what is your money doing to you? What is your money doing to you? Is it helping you to grow in gratitude and generosity or in greed? Now, I think those are always valid, valid questions to ask about uh, what money means to us and how we're using it and how we get it. I read something this week that was totally, uh, just totally startled me when I read this figure. And that is that the richest 80 people on earth, the richest 80 people on earth are now as wealthy as the world's 3.5 billion poorest people. In other words, if you think about it this way, 80 people, not 80%, but 80 people on earth control as much wealth as half the population of our planet. I think that's one of the most shocking things to see about how diverse that, that scale of of living and and how some people have abundance and others might not have an abundance but 80 people have in control as much wealth as half of the population on the planet now when we come to make stewardship commitments and think about this whole concept about generosity i think that there's one nagging fear that's always in our life and that is If I give any of my money away, I will not have enough for myself. Isn't that part of your thought process? And so what do we do? Well, we have a tendency to spend our money in other ways and other places that gratify self. And the last person we think about is glorifying God with our money. And God calls us to live by faith, and He promises that He will bless us. He is our provider, and He promises us that when we live by His principles, and you've got to remember that, you've got to live by His principles about money. He cautions you all the way through the Bible about overspending and about getting in debt and becoming a slave or a servant to the one who lends to you, that you've got to live by those principles. And if you're not living by those principles then you've got to get your life straightened out. You've got to get your finances in order. You need financial counseling. You need to do something to get yourself in financial order. Some of you are upside down in debt, and you need to get out of that. But God promises us when we live by his principles that we can be both generous and secure, and we can call those balanced values. And they enable us to answer two very important questions about how we handle Our money. The first one is Will we love and trust money or will we love and trust God? See, our hearts will always follow our money. Our hearts will always follow our money. Jesus said so in Matthew 6 19 through 21. He said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, your heart always follows your money. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, it works like this. If you buy stock in a certain company, you're going to keep up with that company. You're going to read about them. You're going to know how they're investing that money, whether they're making wise decisions, whether that investment is making money for you or not. You see, where where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Or or you give money, let's say, to a a politician. You're going to follow his or her um, career very carefully. You're going to see how he or she votes, where they stand on certain issues because you've invested in that person. You send a, co- a kid off to college. Many of you have experienced this. You, you send a treasure off to college. What happens? Your heart follows that. You're, you're interested in that college. You're going to pay more attention to what might show up in the news about that college. What kind of decisions are they making? What kind of policies are they making? What kind of education are they really offering your child? Or well, think about another opportunity. You go on, on a mission trip to a foreign country like we had people who went to Trinidad this summer. And, and you invest your life. In that in that country for a period of time, well, you're going to be more concerned about that country. You're going to watch for what's happening to it in the news, and you're going to pray about it, because Jesus said, "Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." You give more money to His kingdom, you're going to be concerned more about His kingdom and the life of our church. You see, you see, you got to, you got to do. If you've ever thought about this, do you? Wish you cared more about eternal things. When you really get down maybe sometime in your quiet time. And there's been some kind of thought about where you are and what you're doing with your life for the kingdom of God. And you wonder how can I get more involved. How can I get more concerned about. How could I be more passionate about kingdom values. Well I would say to you one of the things you need to do is to reallocate your resources and in from the temporal things to eternal things. Put your resources, your assets, your money and your possessions, your time, your talents, and your energies into the things of God and watch what will happen in your life. As surely as the compass needle follows north, your heart will follow your treasure. Money leads and your heart follows. The second question we have to answer is this Will we live live by the standard of the world or the standard of the Bible? See, the world says live to get, make all you can, buy what you want, spend it all on you because you deserve it. The Bible says live to give. Perhaps stated best by John Wesley so many years ago. Make all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. Now, with those two questions answered, dealt with, let's look at the scripture for today out of 2 Corinthians 9, 6-11. And we're going to look at what God says to us and promises us about a generosity promise. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians. I think, uh, some, some, I think three or four classes use masterwork. And I think the today's lesson was, I will give generously. And I think you were in Second Corinthians maybe 8 or, first, or the first part of the 9. But it fits right along with what we're looking at today. So listen to what Paul says about sowing generously. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed And will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You might want to underline that. Enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. And you will be made rich in every way. So that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. There are three principles that the Apostle Paul talks to us about. And challenges us with just like he did the Corinthians almost 2,000 years ago. About generosity. First is this Our level of generosity determines our harvest. Our level of generosity determines our harvest. What we invest and how much we invest determines how much we receive back. In Luke 6 37 through 38, Jesus says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the treasure, measure you use, it will be measured to you. You see, the principle is very simple. If you sow generously, you receive generously. Whether it's giving money or granting forgiveness or your time or your talents, you receive back generously what you invest. Jesus said, good measure, press down, running over. The opposite is just as true. If you sow sparingly, you're going to receive sparingly. Jesus said so and his key words are these, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In Luke 16, 10 through 11, Jesus said, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? See, how we give is determined by our attitude about generosity. And remember what Paul says in verse 7. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful so the first principle is our level of generosity determines our harvest. The second principle is this. Our generosity is to be intentional and joyful. It's to be intentional and joyful. Our giving should come from a joyful heart and not from a heart that feels compelled or guilty. See, we, we, when you always, when you're challenged with an opportunity for generosity and to give when you were thinking about praying over your stewardship commitment for the coming year you always need to check your heart because if you give from the heart you will give with love and joy and gladness because you are able to do so and you're glad you can give that's giving cheerfully as jesus described but when you think about what you're being asked to give And you raise the question that says, what can I be joyful about? What level can I give and be joyful about it? Then I think somehow that runs a little negative thought in your mind. If you ever feel like you're giving legalistically, some people say the tithe is in the Old Testament. We don't live under the law. We're in the New Testament. It never tells us in the New Testament to bring that 10% and that tithe. We live under grace. I agree with you completely. But that 10% tithe in the Old Testament never was abolished. And the grace in the New Testament increases our giving. I think we begin giving to God as believers in Him and followers of Him when we give that 10%, which is the tithe. We become generous when we give beyond that measure. But if you ever resent what you give with the question that says, you know, if I give this much money, if if, if I didn't have to give to God, I could have more money for myself. I could buy the car that I want. I could take that trip that I want. I could have more for my retirement. All of those things you can argue with. But remember the promise of Jesus you gave. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. See, our generosity is to be intentional and joyful. The third principle is this. Our generosity reproduces so we can be even more generous. See, the goal is for generosity to continue to reproduce blessings in your life so that God can continue to use your generosity to glorify him and expand his kingdom. Now here's the generosity promise. Live a generous life and God will be generous with you in return. You live a generous life. I live under the principles of God and he will bless you in return. Now what does that generosity look like? Well, we give the tithe that God sets as the standard and then we grow in generosity beyond that. And this is his word in Malachi 3.10. You might have heard it thousands of times. You might hear it for the first time today. Or you might respond to it today for the first time. But this is what God says in Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. You see, God gives us that promise of blessings in our life if we are faithful to give Him that 10% willingly, obediently, and joyfully. That's God's promise. It's the only place in Scripture he tells us to test him, and he tells us to test him in that. He promises that. And yet every statistic says only maybe two to three percent of all believers worldwide give 10 percent. Most people who give give one to two percent of their income. And between 37 to 50 percent of most believers in any church congregation, gives anything at all most of those give nothing Martin Luther said there are three conversions necessary the conversion of the heart the conversion of the mind and the conversion of the purse and if our wallets haven't been converted we're missing out on a blessing okay today is stewardship commitment Sunday you received a letter and the stewardship commitment card a week or so ago maybe two weeks ago You've had time to pull it out, look at it, pray over it, study it, look at your finances. Consider what God wants you to give. Maybe you've never completed a commitment card. Maybe you've never given to God through Spring Valley Baptist Church. Maybe you've never tithed. Maybe you've already completed your stewardship commitment card to indicate that you will give, you will tithe, you will trust God, and you will go beyond that to be generous. If you haven't, today's a good day to begin that. And there should have been a stewardship commitment card in your bulletin. Here's what I want you to think about. This is going to take you from the biblical to the secular. But I think you can make the application. You are familiar with the name Darius Rucker? Everybody know Darius Rucker? Blow, hootie into blowfish. Now he's crossed over and he's doing country, right? Have you heard the song where he says something about uh, do, doing something for the first time? I have had that phrase in my mind for probably the last six weeks. It just seems like every time I switch to a country station, he's singing that song. But here's the challenge, and this is what he says. When was the last time you did something for the first time? When was the last time you did something for the first time? You see, when was the last time you did something for the first time for God? And that can apply certainly to your stewardship level. When was the last time that you took, you took a risk for God? When was the last time you committed yourself to God? When was the last time you checked on your stewardship or your generosity level? Today is a great day to begin doing something for God for the first time.